Heyo, and welcome back to the RC Podcast. This is your host, Robbie Griswold, RC Communications and Outreach Specialist. I am so excited to be back after several months spent working on recalibrating during the pandemic. Speaking of COVID, today's episode will give you a sense of what some RCers have been thinking about the famously public health-informed preparation plan for the fall, and why several groups in the U of M community went on strike or otherwise demonstrated for better conditions and plans for ensuring safety and health on the Ann Arbor campus. You should know that the opinions and views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewees and do not reflect as a whole the views of the ARC, LSNA, or the U of M. So, how do we get to this? We interviewed several RCers to find out, all over Zoom, to comply with physical distancing protocol. Here's RC fourth-year student Bridget Pulaski. You know, we're kind of losing faith in the, the administration to provide us with, you know, a safe and helpful learning experience, and um, I feel like a lot of people are kind of coming to the realization that, um, in many ways, a lot of the upper administration of the university is acting more of um, like a business than, you know, an academic learning institution. So um, a lot of people are kind of developing this, you know, sense of mistrust and almost like betrayal, I would say. So from September 8th to September 16th, the Graduate Employees Union, or GEO, went on strike with a list of demands such as transparent and robust testing, contact tracing, and safety plans for campus and support for GSIs working remotely, and an option to switch to remote from hybrid in person. Here's RC social theory and practice faculty member and longtime United Auto Workers Union leader, Bob King. In a broader context, I, I have the great respect uh, for them. You know, they brought up issues that everybody in the campus is talking about. Students, tenured faculty, lecturers, staff, everybody was talking about uh, the problems with not feeling safe and that the university wasn't doing what they should do. Next up is Stephen Ward, a faculty member with Semester in Detroit, RC, Social Theory and Practice and Urban Studies, as well as Afro-American and African Studies. Stephen authored the Faculty Senate Motion of No Confidence in U of M President Schlissel's leadership that was made so famous a few weeks ago. So that, that broader context of health and safety within the context of the pandemic, I believe GEO made a, a monumental contribution to engaging and amplifying the places where, the, the, where that set of concerns needed to be amplified. That set of geo-concerns also included a demilitarized workplace, diversion of funds from campus police, and ending any and all ties to local law enforcement such as Ann Arbor Police Department and other agencies like Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. After GEO refused a first offer from the administration on September 9th, U of M President Schlissel and his administration filed for an injunction against GEO. Here's Bob King again. I'm very impressed with the knowledge, the intelligence of the geo leadership that I know, given the opportunity to resolve something, they would have resolved something um, and to force it into a strike. And then if you know labor history, an injunction is the hated weapon of the boss, because what it does, it, it brings the government and the police and sometimes the armed forces into a labor management dispute. And to me, that's morally wrong. U of M and GEO came to an agreement on September 16th, though GEO expressed that it didn't address all of their concerns. 
Here's from Geo's website. By withholding our labor, building coalitions, and making our power impossible to ignore, we forced the university to give us an offer with substantive progress toward a safe and just campus. Please read more about the agreement and Geo's ongoing position at geo3350.org. As you may know, very few graduate students teach or have appointments in the RC, though that didn't hamper the students, faculty, and staff from showing solidarity with GEO's demands because, as Stephen said earlier, they amplified broad concerns felt throughout the campus community. Several RCers were involved in the in-person and online picket lines. Others wrote letters to the administration, including a group of over 70 RC staff and faculty. Another group of staff at U of M was moved to strike during this time, resident advisors. On September 8th, the same day as GEO, and just nine days into the fall semester, more than 100 RAs across campus voted to strike, according to reporting by the Michigan Daily. The strike would stretch two weeks, and they raised many of the same concerns as GEO had, particularly around expanded COVID testing, access to PPE, as well as support for enforcing COVID prevention policies in the residence halls, and hazard pay. Here's third-year student and RCRA Eva Yeh. When someone says they have symptoms, we need to know what to do, which we weren't very clear. It wasn't very clear earlier in the year what we were supposed to do if someone had symptoms, if someone tested positive. That's kind of not necessarily our job in a sense because it is the public health department's job as, you know, as a university, there are professionals that are trained to do that. But we weren't really even told how to get in contact with them. Do we just step aside and let them do everything? Do we help them contact the Dean of Students? So I think the biggest thing is that was a big unknown for us. RAs had asked for more support and clarity on policies back in August and before, according to the Michigan Daily. The strike came about as many concerns surfaced about how housing was arranging quarantine accommodations for students who tested positive in Northwood housing on North Campus. Here's Zayn Hamid, RC third year and fellow RCRA. One of the breaking points was, uh, you know, the experiences that we got from uh, people talking about their experiences in Northwood, um, how that was, you know, the uh, the amount of time that they had to like pack and the, the communication from housing and the whole process. And that just spoke to me like a lack of uh, preparation. And, you know, I, I was expecting a little bit more streamlined type of stuff. The imperative to act also came out of this larger cultural moment for reclaiming agency in the midst of policy that creates inequity and even danger. Like we talk a big game and we say like, oh, social justice. Oh, we want to fight for what's really right, you know, in our lives. And this summer, definitely like a lot of that on social media blowing up about like, really, what are you standing for? And are you being performative in your social social justice or you know, yada, yada, yada. And that's kind of what hit me. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm being kind of performative if I just say that I support them, but I don't strike. That would not be great. And I think I would let myself down in that. During the second week of the RA strike, and on the very day that GEO and the administration came to an agreement, a delegate RA from each residence hall met with housing director Rick Gibson. The RAs tweeted that Gibson threatened the jobs of striking RAs. Housing refuted that claim. Regardless of who said what, that conversation did little for the bruised spirit of the striking RAs. It was such a sad week for me. I think it was so, 
it was definitely very depressing, especially because the geo strike ended. A lot of people assumed that the RA strike also ended with it, but we didn't. And we were losing our momentum. We were kind of, I mean, I was personally kind of losing hope. Also, when GeoStrike ended, class started again, and I have schoolwork to do, and that was also a whole process. I personally made plans in case I got fired. So a lot of things happened in that week. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think on Sunday, I was personally surprised because I wasn't expecting something to come out. And I really wasn't expecting a good offer to come out. I really wasn't expecting that because of their response to us in the past and to their response and like the university's response to GEO. The administration offered RAs more PPE, priority for COVID testing, hired staffing to handle the front desks and residence halls, and even some money on their student dining accounts that the U of M has firmly stated is not hazard pay, but pay for extra work until the hiring of extra staff is complete. Importantly, the offer included a promise of no retaliation for the RAs who participated in the strike, and that thus made it comfortable for them to speak on this podcast. As a Res Staff alum myself, I couldn't be prouder of the RAs who put themselves on the line and set up to the administration when they weren't being heard otherwise. Meanwhile, others in the campus ecosystem were hitting a breaking point. M Dining workers planned a strike, but ultimately redirected to a slowdown, and many of its workers joined the geo demonstrations on September 11th. Here's Bridget Pulaski again, RC senior, a student manager in M Dining who works in the EQ, dish room, office, and on the floor. At the beginning of this semester, I counted, we had 20 workers. Um, so that's like 13% of what we were usually at um, in terms of like labor capacity. So um, my assumption is that obviously carries over to other units. Um, there's less students on campus, less students coming back. People are fearful of working. Um, so I think that a lot of the organization around the strike was, you know, one in solidarity of the GSIs and um, the RAs, but also like kind of the frustrations and um, concerns with how we are reopening um, the dining halls because there was a mandatory, I think it's still in place, like a mandatory six-day work week for the permanent staff within dining. So um, permanent staff were being overworked and then students were kind of like there to kind of fill in the gaps. If the permanent staff is overworking themselves just to run a dining hall, like do they really have the energy and capacity to you know, go after some of these COVID procedures and make sure that those are being in place. I'm sure you've seen pictures in the beginning of the semester, there were like lines up the door for dining halls, or maybe you experienced that yourself and saw it um, firsthand. And there weren't social, there wasn't social distancing. Um, like some of the dining halls didn't have face shields. So like all of this stuff kind of centers around like the lack of support that was initially given to dining and other units. The threat of possible infection, looming larger because of what many consider to be negligence in supporting public health-informed protocol, has amplified the socioeconomic disparities among U of M students, and what loss of pay for being sick could mean for those without a financial safety net from their families or other sources. If I got COVID and I was out of work for, you know, however long, like, I'm not going to be paid in that time gone. Um, and, you know, I could rely on that for my rent. Um, luckily, I received scholarships, so like I'm good. I technically don't have to work, but you know, you know, as a low-income student, you just you know that's a hustle. So, <laughs> for people that do rely on their jobs, such as M Dining, as a student, you could be out of rent money, and that could make it or break it. And there's no like safety net. Um, 
so that's another thing that I would like to see um, taken out of this is, you know, a recognition, you know, of ourselves as a public research institution, especially around medical research, and we don't even have testing for asymptomatic and non-symptomatic people um, at a greater level than it is. Like that's just embarrassing in my opinion, um, but also a recognition that there are like poor people that exist on this campus um, who need money. Um, and if they get sick because they have to work, they, also, they still need money. Um, and just kind of like a su support network for those people. Bridget told me that M Dining staff are continuing to organize, and they likely join several other groups across campus who see this moment as a time to band together for greater solidarity when the administration doesn't address their needs. Thankfully, recent U of M policy makes this easier. The regents approved a policy in June stating that U of M employees no longer need formal elections to form recognized bargaining units. So what's next, you might ask? Negotiating with the administration continues for all groups mentioned in this episode. Among other things in response to the GEO strike, the university agreed to establish a policing task force to evaluate the Department of Public Safety and Security with the goal of making recommendations about policing. As reported by the Michigan Daily, the task force will have representation from both the GEO and Student of Color Liberation Front, which is a coalition of the Black Student Union, United Asian American Organizations, La Casa, Arab Student Association, and Students Allied for Freedom and Education. But even this task force, as you may know, could be set up without real teeth to complete its charge. Back to Stephen Ward. That task force needs to be independent of the university administration for it to have the, the possibility of um, doing meaningful work. If it is not independent of the university, then it has is very likely to go the way of task force in this situation, these types of situations, which um, do not move towards the types of changes that um, people were calling for that, that initiated the task force. This whole situation has made us all realize the importance of solidarity and working through these issues as a team, showing that mutual support was key to making it through to the other side. Yeah, I felt super supported by the RC in particular. I wasn't hesitant that the RC would have retaliation or anything. Like I was very sure that the RC would be supportive and they always have been. Um, I think GEO's support was huge for our morale because they're a huge organization, they're a real union. And even when they ended their strike, they were still supporting us and giving us resources that can move us forward. Many continue to wait for a change of tune from campus leadership. Um, there is a level of responsibility with the amount of money and power that the university, specifically the administration, has. Um, so when you have large groups of people in the university asking that you use that power to better the whole university and you're not, um, it's really negligent and it is really embarrassing. Um, so I feel sympathetic in the sense that, you know, it is a difficult job to kind of manage everything. Um, but at the same time, like we've got the resources, we've got the money and we've got the endowment, <laughs> like do something with it, use it. <laughs> Many of us applaud the gains made by all the groups. And I, for one, am thankful that their striking did help improve safety measures on campus. And I think even though we don't have like a flawless working space now and like a work environment that 
is completely safe for us, I do think it's better, you know? And I think that's a little win. And I think um, the university and the housing department is taking us a little bit more seriously, which I think is also a huge win. Um, even if our demands weren't all met, the fact that they even had this opportunity to give us an offer, it, show, it says a lot about us as staff, you know? Thanks to Bob King, Stephen Ward, Eva Yeh, Zan Hamid, and Bridget Pulaski for appearing on this episode. Thanks to undergraduate research opportunity program assistant, first-year RC student Relian DeGraff, for help with interviews and editing. The music on today's episode is Dark Fog by Kevin McLeod. Subscribe to the RC Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Residential College is a four-year interdisciplinary living learning program in East Quad Wrangell on the campus of U of M Ann Arbor in the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts. It was founded in 1967 and has nearly 7,000 alumni all around the world. This is your host, Robbie Griswold, signing off for now. Thank you.